to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goal. Welcome to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today our guest is Stoss Grinberg, and he is the co-founder and managing principal of Vision and Beyond, a multifamily real estate investment firm with a portfolio of over $250 million and over 2,500 multifamily residential units under management in Ohio, Kentucky, and Indiana. And he's been in the real estate industry for over 10 years and has grown the company from two employees to over 60 employees and has many investors worldwide. And also, since the beginning of the Russian-Ukraine war, he has been a sponsor of a group of weekly volunteers helping the refugees in Poland as well. And so, Stas, thank you so much for all that you do. And thank you so much for being here with us today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, Eileen. I'm honored to be on the show. So, Stas, can you share with us a little bit about your background and how did you get started with real estate? Yeah, for sure. So I grew up in Israel outside of the U.S. and uh, I was born in Ukraine, grew up in Israel, and uh, I was a combat officer in the Israeli army. And uh, while I was serving as an officer in the past the mandated point where I was paid pretty good for doing my job, I started investing. And I already then, it's been around 15 years ago. Already then, I felt like the Israeli market is, I don't find it attractive. I find it risky and very high by the prices. It went up ever since, but I still stand behind my previous analysis. And uh, I started uh, looking for alternative investments. So I started investing in the US market. I did it through third party, through syndicators that are their offices are outside of the US. They're doing it from Israel and they're kind of relying on a third party, on another third party. And I have learned a lot of painful lessons doing that. And uh, my kind of last painful lessons from distant was 2016, we bought an office building in Atlanta, Georgia. We brought in investors. When I'm saying we, is myself and Peter, my partner. We were just salesmen at this company, but we brought in people that are family friends to invest in an investment that looked very good on paper. Everything on paper looked perfect about it. And uh, when we invested, we realized after a while that there was some pieces of information missing, specifically local knowledge that was missing. And therefore, this deal was a pretty bad deal. And uh, we had to face the consequences. We took responsibility. We gathered the investors together and we told them that what happened to them was a personal risk because they trusted us. And it's not just a business risk because it could be analyzed better if we would be on the ground doing our due diligence the right way. But we didn't. And therefore, we owe them this money personally and we're going to pay them back, which at the time was a pretty large amount of money that we didn't have. So we told them it might take a year or two, but we're going to pay you back every penny. And this is when we kind of got on the plane and 
came to Cincinnati, Ohio to start the business and uh, started doing uh, smaller deals and kind of growing the business ever since. So when you bought that off, when you were buying in those office buildings in Atlanta, were you doing that internationally or were you in the U.S. at that time? No, I was in Israel at that time. And I was, we were buying it from distance, relying on information that we're getting from local real estate agents and uh, local business partners. And therefore, we were misrepresented by some of the information, by the accuracy of some of the information. And uh, we found ourselves in trouble with this deal. What was it about the market that was appealing to you? And then we'll, we can get into also what were some of the things that were miscommunicated? So everything about the market was pretty accurate. And until this day, this small sub-market of Atlanta is a pretty popular office market and the market was good. The prices per square footage in the other office buildings in the area that we analyzed were pretty accurate. And this deal was actually priced below the market value for, for the office space and per square foot and everything. All the information matched to be on paper a good deal. The piece of the information that was missing was that this specific commercial office building had a bad reputation about it. So the price was cheap, but it was for a reason. And it was for a pretty good one, which local people could know the reputation of the office building. We at the time didn't even know that it's a factor, that, that an office building could have a positive or a negative reputation. And this building was kind of, there was some stigma about it, like it was cursed, the locals were saying. It was, everyone knows in the commercial area, this one building that you know that any office will, any company that will office, that will open their business, after a year, they will go under. And uh, this was this building, the one in the area that everyone believed that it was cursed and no one wanted to rent there because of the bad tradition of the businesses in this building. I see. So it was hard to get tenants or people to lease out the space because of this this superstition and the reputation that this office building had. Exactly. Oh, so how quickly did you find out that was the case after you had purchased the building? Around 11 months after we were after we finished the renovation and that no tenant really showed interest for the prices and we took the prices, we adjusted the prices down from the business plan and yet no one was really interested and we were getting kind of, even if we got an offer, it was a very low offer. So around 11 months in, we felt like the uh, situation is not uh, adding up. How did you end up finding about the reputation of the office building? When we started understanding that the deal is going under and the investors are concerned and asking questions, we started uh, digging deeper and speaking with, with many more local people 
to ask them what could be possibly going wrong with an area with high demand for office space with low supply with good prices the market is hot and yet we're getting no bites what could be going on and then we got to some extra pieces of information one is that there could be some kind of a deal behind the scenes that was done by the ownership of the company we worked for and that bought it for kind of a double price for one price and then presented it to investors for a different price we found out that one of the agents was offered to market this building for a lower price but he said no because he didn't believe it's going to sell and he felt like it's a waste of his time and we kind of started diving more and more deep and uh, finding those pieces of information that then made us understand that there's a there's a situation here that there is a crisis and we need to face it during that time after the 11 months after you purchased the property do you fly out to Atlanta to look at it or um, was this still while you're in Israel and doing your due diligence and trying to figure out the story and the background and and why this space wasn't being leased the way that it should be leased we were planning to do that but while digging deep preparing to fly we saw the pieces of information that were already not adding up and we felt like the owners of the company we worked for were involved in this kind of a bad situation and then we understood we already have a crisis that we need to face and going to keep finding the bodies will not solve the problem <laughs> rather than going and facing the situation and trying to sometimes when you know the situation is bad then trying to keep digging into it the solution will not come from the bad situation the solution could come from a new situation that you create and this is what we were focusing on we decided we quit this job we got all the investors together we had a talk with them we told them that we will do whatever we can to bring back the money from the ownership of this company and uh, if not then we'll pay it personally and uh, they will get back every penny but it might take some time which we did after around 2 years of running the company so was it 100% vacant then this office building yes, it was oh wow for how long during the entire period that you held on to it was it vacant it was it got occupied after a year and a half by a single tenant that took it for a much lower much much reduced price which then supposedly wanted to buy it the problem was that we were getting the information from the gp from this uh, the owners of this company which from the first place they were partially involved in what's going on so the information investors and we were getting through attorneys was not necessarily something we could rely on so but per the storyline it was around a year and a half after it got occupied for around 60 to 70% of the business plan oh, uh, wow. expectation rent So what happened after you got it occupied how long did you hold the property for before you decided to how did you decide to exit the property afterward for us the exit was a kind of a lawsuit against the owners 
to buy the investors out and to put legal pressure on them. They eventually, after two years, sold it and brought back to the investors around 70% of the proceeds invested, like 70 cents on the dollar. And we were the party that kind of gave them the, the additional 30 from our personal funds. So that was after three years of owning the property that the lawsuit had to come into fruition and the loss of income and the returns that were expected at that time. Exactly. Wow. How did you manage, how did this process work for you, especially being in Israel at the time? And I guess what was the plan? Because you had also talked about, you communicated to the investors that you were going to pay them back the money that they had invested and had lost in this deal. What was your plan to get out of that and to be able to give back to the investors what they had invested um, with you? So three months after we understood that there is a crisis, and uh, there is a problem, which number one rule in an, in crisis management is understanding that you're in crisis. And uh, three months after we understood it and quit the job, we jumped on a plane and came to the U.S. So we actually did it, managed it from the U.S. and we started the company. That was the beginning of 2018, and uh, we started driving around with a car, two binders and a printer and uh, buying properties, buying single family units, four units, eight units, 12 units and growing up the business, knowing that if we're going to be strong, uh, we're going to be able to solve uh, problems like that. Did you continue to focus in the Atlanta market when you did that or did you expand? No, No, never. We started... In 2018, we started in Cincinnati, Ohio. We never since been in Atlanta. (laughs) It's left a bad taste. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, actually, the unofficial name of our company, we called the LLC that we used, 4588, which was kind of a memorial to this bad deal. It was the digits on the address of the property of the deal that went bad. So that was for us kind of a memorial of the crisis and the problem and how we should manage things differently in order to avoid mistakes like that repeat in the future. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. So if you were to go back for this property or even future properties, like what do you look at now and how do you even, what would you do differently, especially doing your due diligence on the properties before purchasing it? Because it's not just about the numbers that make sense anymore. It's about bigger things and the local knowledge as well. So what are some of the things that you do now that you 
wish you had maybe done during that uh, Atlanta deal? I actually don't wish, uh, looking backwards, I don't live my life regretting past and mistakes. We don't wish we would have done things differently. Of course, it would be uh, nice in retrospective, but that's not how we live life. We live forward, and this crisis made us the way we are today, which the approach to your question that entirely designed our approach to real estate 100% the opposite of way, of the way we handled it there, where we are today running from day one, we run the company with the intention of absolute control, of full vertical integration, of doing deals on the ground, not only see the deal before you buy it, but be the one that brings the deal. There, there is no way that I am going to work with an investor and going to rely on another person's story to be told. I am completely defining uh, the difference between stories and facts. We have the team internally to find the deals, to create the deals. So we are the first hand. If I'm making a promise to an investor that I have no one to blame, I brought the deal to the table. And we are managing the property. We are managing the renovation from A to Z. We are the ones estimating the renovation and building the plan for value-add when we're approaching it. We are the company also part of our vertical integration over time became buying material supplies, the construction materials. So we're not just taking a third-party contractor and telling him, hey, this is the budget finish the project and bring the materials because then he has negative incentives in putting lower quality materials. So we're in every detail of the investment, we have no one to blame. If I'm talking to an investor and I'm making him a promise, this promise, I have no one to look aside to or telling him, listen, I know I told you that, but he told me that. And that's why I thought that's what's going to happen. I didn't want to find myself again in this situation. So this is how we build our company and this is how we build our business. And uh, today, even now that we're opening the Houston market and we've been buying here for the last seven months and continue growing in the Houston market, then I moved my family to Houston and we are in four states, but we it's two major markets that we're focused on and we're very heavily on the ground focused on it. And uh, I live here in Houston because we're buying deals in Houston. So I'm here overseeing the process A to Z and not uh, relying on third parties in uh, with the destiny of the investment. So how do you communicate to those investors when you are looking, when you realize that you had to exit the deal and that there was going to be a loss on the property, how did you structure it or how do you communicate the plan to return their capital back, their investment back? And then what kind of happens after you purchase a, a property? Like, how did that kind of work for you? Or what kind of communication was that like? So the communication was, we brought an attorney, we brought them in to them the plan of action. We told them nothing but the cold, ugly truth. We told them where we headed with it. We gave them our promise. 
but it's not that we 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 didn't have any good news to give them. We gave them the the actual truth, and we told them we'll keep them updated and uh, we'll keep them in the loop of what's going on, where the process is, that the attorney is not communicating to us, and we're planning how to tell them stuff, and but he's communicating to all of us as a group, and uh, that in this scenario. Our uh, relatives were invested as well, and best friends were invested as well. So we, the, the investors were very surprisingly receptive to the truth. They felt like we're not trying to sweeten things or something. If you tell, even in bad situations, if you tell the investors the complete truth, then uh, they accept it. And uh, this is how we managed it. What do you think was the pivotal point in your business that have allowed you to scale to where you are today? I think that before we started it, the way we handled this situation was already a push to to our business and to our business perception and business integrity and responsibility because those investors, not only they were receptive to the message, but they stand behind us and they supported us. And they were the first investors that believed in us and invested in our new business. And they were also kind of ambassadors of, of some uh, positive uh, reference that they could give about us. And uh, another, so that was one point that kind of pushed us towards success. Another point was that the people that started the company, uh, that joined us first uh, to be the first employees that we had were our friends from the Israeli army. All were officers and all were kind of proven leaders that we knew them naturally because we served with them. But those were people that were problem solvers. Those were people uh, that didn't look for excuses or for why is something complicated or why is uh, I don't have connections in the U.S. I don't know people. How would I approach it? But you would give them something that the problem that we need to solve and they would find a creative way to come to you with results. And uh, that was a pretty phenomenal discovery and positive surprise for us that this army DNA that is not considered usually a professional business experience. And uh, if uh, a company commander from the army would apply to a job, no one would consider something like that as a professional experience unless it's work in security or something like that. But actually, this problem-solving, working under pressure environment in the army were positively translated to the business world. And uh, we were able to, with that, have breakthroughs in areas that, and learn from mistakes and face the ugly realities of the, uh, sometimes of doing business and failures and learning from failures and admitting them and communicating with kind of the same DNA and that kind of build our company strong. Oh, absolutely. I love that. Thank you for sharing. Coming from Israel to and bringing and moving your family to Houston, when you're looking for 
when you first started and you came to the U.S. and you were looking for new markets to enter, what was the criteria that you're looking for in the market itself before you decided to move in and invest your time and efforts in looking for new deals in that specific market? So the criteria we had in mind were a little bit unique because uh, we didn't look necessarily for the most growing market. We looked for a market where we can scale as a small company, which means we can buy deals for relatively cheap prices. We can uh, buy deals with a good legal system. We knew ahead of time we chose to invest in the U.S. because we can trust the legal structure. And you know that if you go to court, you will get uh, justice and no one can come to your property and claim that it's not yours. And uh, also, we wanted a place where we can enforce ownership, meaning we don't want to have a small group of investors that we're investing in a couple deals. And then we have tenants that don't pay rent and therefore we're screwed for years. We cannot afford it as a young business. And therefore, we wanted the market where we know that uh, we can evict a tenant if needed and he doesn't pay rent. We wanted a place where we can find and pay relatively reasonable salaries and the people can afford so kind of a cheaper lifestyle. So we cannot go to California or New York or anywhere, anywhere like that. And uh, those were our initial criterias. And also we knew that we want secondary markets. We want something that you know what is the A market that drives the market in the area. And therefore, you don't have to be the one predicting the market, but you can kind of join the wave as a small fish. And uh, secondary market like Cincinnati to Columbus or like today Houston to Austin are a little more predictable because if the A market is driving up, the secondary, the secondary market is following and it's easier to predict. And so Stas, how has real estate investing impacted your life? Oh, it's a big question. <laughs> I think uh, it impacted everything. In my specific story, that was what I fell in love with. And that was that became the area of my main focus. I'm not a passive investor. I'm a super active, super hands-on investor. And uh, look at me today. I'm uh, in the U.S. Started, uh, you know, moved to Cincinnati when I was a single man, looking to make some small deals and grow a business. And today I have three kids, two dogs, two birds, <laughs> uh, 400 <laughs> 400 employees in the Midwest through like direct employees and through third parties, almost 60 employees in the Houston market, including third parties that are working specifically for me and uh, 3,100 units that I'm managing in the U.S. and uh, impacted me in every possible way. That is incredible. That's incredible. What is the one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? I don't know that there is a piece of information like that that I wish that I would know. I love the idea that every piece of information that I know today, I didn't know before I learned it. 
and it was all and it's all part of a long journey and that today there's many things i don't know that i will know in the future and uh, i enjoy the idea that i am managing a company today that is the biggest i've managed so far which means every day is an area of new challenges and new problems i don't know the answers to and i need to figure them out i think if there's if you formulate this the question is in specifics i remember that there was an investor that didn't get into this deal if there's an a valuable piece of real estate investing knowledge then there there is an investor that didn't get into this deal and uh, i was asking him why because he liked it and then he left the meeting and he came back and he said my father who's a very wealthy uh, super successful real estate guy i told him about the deal and i asked him for his advice and his father told him don't invest and uh, i asked him what why did, what was the explanation and he said because there is no bank involved because the bank is not giving the loan for the deal and uh, he said i don't even need to see the business plan if you see that the bank is involved he said i will invest with you but if a bank is not involved i don't know what is the reason but i don't think you should invest because you will you will not have a way to understand the reality about the deal from israel from distance and uh, if someone is a passive investor and he invests in a deal his chances of doing the due diligence in a very very good way are pretty low and the chance of him being presented a story that is not fully accurate are there and if a bank is involved it's usually an institution with historical exceptions but it's usually an institution that knows pretty well how to do the diligence and how to protect its money and it's usually the biggest partner on every real estate transaction where a bank is involved and therefore if a bank is involved the deal is safer greatly than if a bank is not involved and then what is the one thing that sets successful people apart in real estate investing the one thing that successful people share in real estate investing yes that's the successful people apart I think at the end of the day I don't believe that real estate is a is a business of buildings. I believe that it's a business of people. And I think that the the better the more successful people can choose the people right, the people that they want to work with, the people that they want to trust, the people they want to get into the transaction because every deal on paper could be presented good or bad. the stories could be very convincing and charisma could confuse and there could be market prediction analysis attempts but there is a lot of unpredictable factors in real estate and there is a lot of changes in the market and there is a lot of factors that that a lot of people cannot factor in but one thing is for sure if you trust the right people if you're able to choose the people to trust and you're joining the people with high integrity that will be there even when things go bad is kind of not being able to look at the upside but to be able to look at the downside of what's happening if everything doesn't go by the plan who am i trusting if those people will still be taking responsibility and uh, fighting for me if things go wrong if everything in the business plan goes under if the market is 
not what it's what it's been if if there are major changes do i trust the right people and i think successful people are able to choose the right people to trust better thank you for sharing all that stas and for our listeners out there who also want to find out more about you and what you're doing where's the best place that they can go uh, they can either go to the website of the company of vision and beyond which the web, the website is vnbinvestinvest.com or to my personal LinkedIn, Stas Greenberg. Awesome. Well, Stas, thank you so much for being here with us today and sharing your story. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Eileen. It was a pleasure. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, Check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Sale and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.